Hey, as I've been telling y'all for a couple of weeks, I'm such a big fan of the CSB version of the Bible, the one that's just come out from Lifeway and B&H. And it is an incredibly interesting blend of faithfulness to the original language and readability for the modern audience. I think it's an accurate and accessible version of the Bible, and it's an easy reading experience. So you can find out more at csbible.com. But here's the cool thing. On December 1st, we're going to do a giveaway on my blog. So head over to anniefdowns.com backslash blog, and you will see the post right there, and you can see how to enter to win a copy of a CSB note-taking Bible that is really beautiful. You can go see the picture. So I'm really excited about that. So go check that out and make sure you check out csbible.com, especially if you're looking to give someone a new Bible for Christmas or for the new year. If you've gotten someone 100 Days to Brave and you want to give them something that partners with that, that would be amazing. It'd be such a good Bible to give. Hey, speaking of 100 Days to Brave, I don't know if you've noticed, but it is sold out on Amazon and it's going to be sold out on Amazon for a little bit. This is Thursday. Um, If you are listening to this when it comes out, it is the last day of November and it will probably not be back at Amazon for a week or so. So I would suggest that you go to Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble has a ton of copies, not only on their shelves, but on their website. And so you can get it from there. Just wanted to give you that heads up. If you're looking for a Christmas gift, if you're trying to get it all sorted out and get a copy of 100 Days to Brave, your local bookstores, your local Lifeway stores, and Barnes & Noble are your best bet. Oh, and of course, Target. Always Target. But if you are looking to go grab one and you want to be sure it's on the shelf and be sure they can get it for you, Barnes & Noble is a great solution for that. Merry Christmas, friends. Welcome to another episode of the That Sounds Fun podcast and our Christmas party. I love it. It's my favorite time of year. I am so, so glad to be with you. Hey, last week we had the sweet girls from She Reads Truth telling us all about Advent. I hope you are ready to kick that off and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. One of the best parts is we switch up the music a little bit. So I'd like to thank my sweet friend, John McLaughlin, who you are going to hear on the podcast in just a few weeks for letting us use one of his songs from his new Christmas EP. Make sure you grab that. Today on the show is my friend Sharon Hottie Miller, author of Free of Me, Why Life is Better When It's Not About You. And gosh, this book has been messing with me. I'm not sure it's what you want to read at Christmas, you guys. You may want to wait till January when you're ready to be a new year and a new you. But it's amazing, a great Christmas gift, a book that I would highly recommend. Sharon is a really trusted voice to me and someone in this space um, of writing and preaching and teaching and living that she's doing a beautiful job um, doing that out loud in front of us. So I think you're going to be really interested in some of the stuff she has to say about women and teaching and all the things. So it is coming to you now. This is my conversation with my friend Sharon. Okay, so we're recording on Halloween. What are your people dressing up as tonight? Because you have two boys, right? And then are you pregnant right now, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm expecting my first girl. Oh, my gosh. Actually. When? Yeah, um, late January. Okay. So are you dressing up tonight, too? I always think it's so cute when moms dress up. <laughs> I mean, says the non-mom who doesn't have to dress up. I'm not dressing up this year. I'm my, I'm so tired my just between my book releasing and traveling and everything I think if it had been a different year I would have amped it up but and I actually last time I was pregnant over Halloween I went as a speed bump oh my gosh wait (laughs) tell me more what does that even mean uh so we went to Halloween party and I I wore all black and I was like about as pregnant as I am now I'm about six months now and I'm trying to remember, I wore a construction hat and I think I put a yellow construction sign on my belly that said yield or something like that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And then uh, my husband went as a police officer, like a traffic cop, but it didn't work. Like, like was the we baby like- supposed to be the speed bump? Yeah, yeah. So Got my baby it. bump was like a speed bump. Got it. And we thought we were really clever, but it didn't it didn't work. Everyone thought we were either the village people 
Or, and this was, I totally put all the blame on my husband for this. So his police outfit, he wore jeans and then a short sleeve button down blue shirt with a tie and like a badge and a like police hat and sunglasses. And as soon as he put this outfit on, I took one look at him and I said, you look like a stripper. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, this isn't going to work. And sure enough, we went, and this was a church party. (gasps) Uh -uh. And yeah, like everyone, that was like the first thing. They were like, so, hey. Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) What are you you dressed as? (laughs) Everyone's like, there's just a little chance you're dressed as a stripper. Well, because he was wearing jeans, right? You know, I think that was part of the problem. Yeah, there was. It just, yeah, it didn't. It didn't work very well. So that was my foray into dressing up for Halloween during pregnant. And this year, I'm just not doing it. (laughs) I um, like. I'm just never been a real costume kind of person. I just don't love them. But I do love, I mean, I have so much love when other people wear them. Like, I'm all for other people wearing them. I think it's so cute. I've just never personally been like, man, I love wearing a costume. Like, that's just not my, I don't know why, because my personality type would probably lean toward that would be it. But yeah, well, there's, and there's a lot of options when you're pregnant. Like, if you go on Pinterest, there's a lot of ideas. Right. But I just don't have, yeah, I, I just don't have the mental energy. So we're we're not even. I mean, last night I looked at my husband and I said, "Oh, we're supposed to carve a pumpkin." Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, culture would say the next thing we're supposed to do is carve a pumpkin. Yeah, he he looked at me. He was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's I was like, awesome. "So are we doing that this year?" And he was like, "I don't think so." Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> Okay, so how did you and your husband meet? Oh, my goodness. Uh, this story is so uh, – it's really funny because um, we're both in ministry. So my husband's a pastor. I need to preface that by saying that. So he's a young adult's pastor, and at the time we met, he was in seminary, and I had just graduated from seminary, and I was working as a college minister. Oh, cool. Were y'all at the same seminary? Yeah. Well, we we attended the same seminary. I had just graduated. Got it. And okay. so I was still living in the area. But we actually met at a date auction. No. Did you buy him? No. So that's the funny thing. And there's a lot. I told this story to someone else recently, and I realized after I told it that there were a number of details I probably should have, like, explained. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, no. I don't know. My poor husband comes off looking, especially I've already called him like a stripper. Right, I, right, I, right. I, I probably need to stop right now and let y'all know. My husband is an amazing guy. <laughs> <laughs> and not exactly a stripper. Not exactly. No, he's a godly man. He's a man of integrity. But I did meet him at a date auction. And the thing to know that I wish I'd said in the last time I told this story is that, so we both went to Duke, which is affiliated with it's attached to Duke University. And so the date auction was put on by the like Duke graduate student government. So it wasn't like the seminary was putting it on, but it was, you know, the graduate students. So it was also like the law students and the med students and stuff like that. So he had been asked to participate in this date auction. And whenever he tells the story, he always emphasizes that it was for charity and he was doing this really selfless thing by participating in the date auction. So I was there because I had a friend who was being auctioned off and he had invited me and one other person to come as like moral support. Okay. And if he didn't get bid on, the plan was for us to be the backup. Oh, so y'all are already friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it, got oh, well, it, got it. no, no, no. I was there with another friend. Like, oh, I hadn't and so met you're just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'll come with you. I'll be a good wingman, whatever. Yeah, so I was there with another friend, and Ike, my husband, just also happened to be there. And so that's where I met him. We had a ton of mutual friends, and so I met him there that night, and we were at this, it was like the shadiest bar. It was, there was this mechanical bull, and there was a cage where people could dance, and it was not our, like for neither one of us was it kind of our regular hang, but that just is where we met. (laughs) I love that so much. And so that's where it all began, and because of those circumstances, I I saw him be auctioned off. I did not bid on him. 
I just saw him auctioned off. I think he was hoping we had just met. I think he was hoping I would bid on him, but I did not. Yeah. And because of the way we met, I actually had to, he asked me out pretty soon after that. And he had sort of like a uphill climb in terms of convincing me he was dateable. Really? But yeah, that's how we met. Because he yeah. was in that auction, you were like, I'm not sure about this dude. Well, he, okay, again, this, my poor husband, he is such a good man, but he looks. <laughs> That's a great lead in, Sharon. Like, you guys, no, no, no. Seriously, he's great. He's really humble, but he seems like a little too comfortable Okay. Um, in that environment. And I felt like you seem like you've done this before. Like you seem really confident standing on stage, having women like scream at you. So that for me was kind of like, I don't know about this guy. You know, he just seems like a ladies man or something. Um, and so that's, that's what it was. That, that was part of the problem. And so, but he, thankfully he pursued me very patiently and slowly and just took time to get to know me and, help me to see like who he really was. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was starting like in the negatives. When oh my we gosh. Met. <laughs> that's so funny just because he was being a good citizen and being auctioned off Sharon. I know that's, I know for a charity. Yeah. Right. <laughs> to do good for the planet. Okay. So now let's talk about how you and I met as long as we're talking about how people meet. Yeah. Because I mean, I knew who you were before we went to Austin in 2000 and uh Oh, 14? Uh, yeah, when would that, that was, let's see, that would have been about four years ago, I'm going to say, because I think my son, my oldest son had just turned one. Yeah, you had a kid. He's, I do remember that. He's five now. Yeah. Uh-huh, he's five now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we both end up in Austin at the same event with Jenny Allen. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm I'm really interested to hear what your thought is around, like, what was that experience like for you? And what was it like meeting so many women that are all in such totally different leadership ministry spaces? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, and I guess to maybe give a little bit of background on that meeting, this was the birth of the IF gathering. And this was when Jenny was still kind of dreaming it up, I yeah, guess you could say. Yeah, the birth of if, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, like I don't even think she could articulate yet what it was. I mean, do you remember that? Yeah, I don't think they, they certainly didn't have a name of anything. Yeah, like I, I feel like it was still this vision that God was giving piecemeal yeah. to Jenny and a handful of other people. Yep. And so I remember going and being like, I don't know what this is, but. <laughs> right. I know. I mean, it's one of those where you're like, how did she talk us all into flying to Austin for this? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to tell you who else is coming and you're going to know people, but you might not know everybody, but come on. And we we're all like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember like I, I had dinner the night before with a friend who lived in Austin and he was kind of like, so what is this? And I was like, I don't really know. <laughs> right, right. But I I had known Jenny. I had worked for her on a project before. And so I just knew Jenny and I trusted her. And so, yeah, we all showed up. And it was really, it was actually really overwhelming for me. And it kind of, in a lot of ways, it sent me on this, this journey of examining myself because I think that was the first time where I had been in close proximity to a lot of women who had the same call that I did. And up until then, I feel like I had been laboring kind of alone, I guess. And there's something to be said for having, you know, relationships with people who have a similar call to you and having that support system. But I also think that whenever you're in close proximity with people that have a similar calling as you, there's this temptation to compare. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yes, for sure. Yeah. And so it was really interesting to me to, I actually had to kind of wrestle through that, not just that weekend, but afterwards, it kind of made me, I don't know, I, I started thinking about myself in relation to what everyone else was doing. And it actually, in some ways, I would say that that weekend was like the birth or just the seed of what my book became in a lot of ways, because I kind of started, 
I think that was one of the first times I started looking at the women who are like running next to me or running ahead of me and sort of using them as measuring sticks, ironically, which is so not at all what that weekend was for. Right. But I do think that happens. I mean, I feel like that probably happened in more hearts than people are willing to admit when so many people get together like that. Yeah. And and I actually feel that way whenever I go to any conference, like a writer's conference where I'm just like attending and learning, you know, alongside other people or or where people are networking or whatever, I always kind of know going in, you know, this is going to tug on my heart in some painful ways. Like there's going to be a temptation to compare or to measure myself against some of my peers. And over the years, I'm grateful, you know, that I've been able to identify that because it's helped me to, now when I go into environments like that, I can kind of pray ahead of time and like prepare my heart. And you feel like you learned that based on that weekend we were together. I think that was the beginning of it because I, I, I never really wrestled with that before. And so it was the first time I'd really wrestled with that, with that, with comparison like that. How did you know Jenny from hermeneutics or... How did you know her? No, I actually, I used to work for this, back when I was like in seminary, I, one of the ways I made money was I worked for this research group called the docent group and they do research for pastors and writers and they kind of help people research their sermons or research their books. Like I've, it was a really cool job because I got to interact with a lot of different pastors and authors and just learn about their own process. And somehow I had been connected. I didn't work with Jenny very long. I I just worked with her on some writing project. I feel like I did some research on David and his life or something like that. And that was, how long ago was that? That was probably seven years ago or something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was a long, it was like long before I think she had even published her first book or anything like that. And so, yeah, that's how, that's how I knew Jenny. So yeah, that was a really, it was a really, yeah, yeah, that's how I got there. And man, that's so honest, Sharon. I think people would look at our, the women who do this job. And while we do cheer for each other and I love cheering for each other, I think people would think, oh, I bet they never feel that pull or that sting or that competitive, not even competitive, but comparison game. They would think, oh, they, you know, when all 19 of them are speaking on the if stage, none of them feels that. And I think that's probably not true at all. Yeah. I mean, I I think I remember even being at, I think it was Passion a couple years ago. And Francis Chan was speaking. And he had talked about how, I want to say maybe like Christine Kane had spoken earlier and she had talked about, she'd referred to John Piper and one other current speaker, like someone who was speaking that weekend as like theologians. And he got up there later and he said, he confessed to feeling insecure about what she said, that she didn't mention. He said, you know, she said John Piper is a theologian, but she didn't say Francis Chan, you know? Oh, wow. And I could not, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because, I mean, doesn't Francis Chan, he seems like someone who is, like, sanctified by the blood. Like, Right, right. (laughs) You would think he could care less about whether or not, you know, a fellow conference speaker thinks he's smart enough, academic enough, theological enough. But it was so liberating to know that he does, you know, that he still struggles with that. And so that's something that I've tried to be, I mean, it is, it's really humbling to admit is super, super humbling to admit because I would love to just act like I've got my junk together and that I don't care about that stuff. But the the reality is that I do. And by naming that and being honest about it, it frees me to give it to God, you know, to redeem I mean, but we made friends. Like, I feel so sad. I'm like, I'm scared. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, four years later, you're telling me that, this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I would have hugged you. I would have told you my insecurities too. No, I mean, it was really important. I think that I needed that time. I, I really, you know, 
I think that our response to insecurity is just to sort of like affirm it away, you know, to speak truth over ourselves and keep affirmation on our heads and to, you know, lean into the really warm and cozy things of scripture. But I, I think that our insecurities also reveal idols. You know, they reveal Say places that. that our insecurities reveal our idols. That is something. Yeah. yeah. And and so I actually think I, as, you know, maybe kind of humiliating as it is to admit that, I think I really needed that time. Like, I, I think that God was showing me things about my heart and he was showing me, he was exposing things about my motives that maybe I hadn't even known up until that point were even there. And so it was a kind of like a severe mercy almost. I, I see that time as. So yeah, don't feel bad. I needed that. And because I was able, I was able to lean into that and, and instead of just affirm it away, but actually give it to God to, you know, redeem and resurrect, I think that he's used it. Like he's turned it into ministry. Yeah. And you really think that's where your book kind of birthed out of? Yeah. In some ways, yeah. It kind of sent me on just this, this journey of... And, and I'm sure that wasn't the only thing, but at that point in time, I guess I'd probably been writing and blogging for maybe six or seven years at that point. And I remember what's really interesting too, I remember Sarah Bessie was there and she had talked about how she had been writing for about 10 years, just kind of in obscurity. And that had sort of been my situation as well. Like I was kind of quietly writing and and I'd written for Christianity Today and some other places, but I didn't have like a huge social media following or anything like that. And I, I think that there came a point when I thought, oh, but I should, you know, I should have a huge social media following or I should be, you know, doing all these things or I should be known by all these people. And yeah, I, I don't know like what exactly caused all that to change exactly for me because I used to do it just for the joy of it, you know. But once I started realizing that my motives were mixed with needing like affirmation and needing to be seen, it just took like so much of the joy out of the work and out of the ministry. And and so just dealing with that and confronting it in myself was was definitely the birth of my book. Okay. Okay. So free of me is the title of your first book. And it is just, I haven't finished reading it, but I've read enough to say it's just incredibly selfless. Like it's like the whole, I mean, really it's you pretty much looking at us and saying like, Hey, we've got to change our faith from being so self centered to being other centered. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I would say more importantly, God-centered, like Christ-centered, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so why is this your book? Why is this the one the Lord gave you to write? <sighs> well, you know, I've given you some of the background already. And, you know, like I, like I said, I've been writing for a while. And you and I, like, we have so many friends who write books. <laughs> right, I know. There's so many books out there. And so for years and years, I'd, I'd prayed okay, God, you know, I don't want to write a book just because I can write a book because I'm a writer. I could write a book, you know, I could, I could do it, but I just prayed. I don't want to write a book until you have given me a message to write, you know? And so I waited and waited and waited and nothing, nothing ever felt like the right thing. Like I even, there was an article I'd written for Christianity Today and a publisher had asked me to turn it into a book and I didn't feel at all a piece about it. And so I said no and waited and waited <laughs> some more. Uh, but this, this whole journey that I went on with dealing with my own insecurity and then ultimately experiencing freedom in it, that was the thing where when I, I felt like I'd experienced victory in it, and that's when I thought, you know what? I think that this is something that a lot of people struggle with, and maybe we're not giving it quite the right name because I, you know, I was struggling with insecurity. That's what it was. Like, I was struggling with insecurity, and so I turned to, you know, books and blogs and articles about insecurity, 
and I read, okay, what does is, what is the Bible say about me? What does God think about me? What is my identity in Christ? Like, what is my purpose? You know, all these things that are true, but none of them actually helped me. Like, it didn't make me feel any better, and it didn't help me to stop comparing. And over time, through just a lot of prayer and a lot of heart work and a lot of kind of reapproaching scripture, realizing that for me, the issue was not like low self-esteem where I needed to heal something in me that was wounded necessarily. For me, my problem was my focus was off, that I was focused on me. And when your focus is on yourself, even when that focus is positive, you know, even when you are believing all sorts of things about yourself that are biblical and true, if that is your focus, at the end of the day, you will still be an insecure person because your gaze is fixed on something that is ultimately not secure. Oh, that's good. If your gaze is fixed on you. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so I realized that for me, what I needed was not higher self-esteem, but to focus on myself less. Once I was able to put my finger on that and then start the process of identifying areas of my life that I had made fundamentally like about me that were meant to be about Christ and then reorienting them back, it complete, it changed everything. Like it was, that was the thing. Do you think that's true for all women? Do you think, and I mean, and men too, but specifically, because I think your book is more geared toward women and, and we are women. So do you think that's the answer? Is that what we're doing wrong? Because the like self-help conversations and the better self-image conversations aren't fixing it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's both and, you know, I just, uh, this past week I spoke to the high schoolers at our church and I gave them this message and then did a Q&A afterwards with the girls. And some of what they were dealing with was the kind of insecurity that does need the truth of Scripture. You know, we have an enemy. He's constantly lying to us. And we have to be armed with truth to fight back. Otherwise, we will believe lies about ourselves. And we will be, you know, wounded by people in our lives. And so I absolutely believe and the value of those messages that are speaking truth and affirmation over people, I just think that that is only part of the answer. And at the end of the day, if the message that we are especially giving towards women, if all we're ever saying is, God loves you, He delights in you, um, He created you with a purpose, like you are special, you know, you, 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 kind of like a you-centered gospel, then I think we unintentionally communicate that the highest ideal of our faith is for us to like ourselves and that that's why Jesus came and died. And, you know, that's part of it is I I do believe God wants us to love ourselves, but there's a much bigger story at work here and we need to be calling people into it. And I think that there is a lot of healing and restoration that happens when you get back into that race, so to speak, you know. So that's kind of the vision of it. Hey, friends, just popping in in this middle of the super fun interview with Sharon to tell you about something I'm starting to use and see if that might be interesting to you as well. As someone who's self-employed, finding health insurance can be really difficult and just a lot of questions that I don't have answers for. But I'm starting to use Samaritan Ministries, and it has been really cool so far and really helpful. What Samaritan Ministries does is believe that, that we can take care of each other and People are committed to sending financial gifts every month directly to an assigned member with a medical need. But it's more than just money or physical healing when there is a need. The cool thing is Samaritan members pray for each other and for all the aspects of the members' needs and encourage one another by sending notes and cards, which I think is really cool. Every month, it's more than 70,000 households are giving generously to other members with a qualified medical need through Samaritan Ministries International. You can find out more at SamaritanMinistries.org. It's one of the leading healthcare sharing ministries in America where members send checks and prayers and notes of encouragement directly to other members in need. It's a unique opportunity, I think, for 
people to get to be the hands and feet of Jesus for each other. And that's what I like about the Samaritan Ministries direct sharing model. It's kind of a biblical approach to paying for health care. Currently, Samaritan members give a monthly share starting at $100, depending on the age and household size. And But Samaritan Ministries members never sh- have shared more than $495 a month for the family of any size. So if you're like me and you're looking for a way to have health care, I suggest Samaritan Ministries. Just check them out. See what you think. SamaritanMinistries.org. Back to my fun conversation with dear Sharon Miller. So a lot of my friends who listen to the show that we get, you know, we get emails and tweets and whatever. And and a lot of people believe what we believe about God, but a handful of people don't and just are friends with us and listen to the show. And so my, I guess my question for you is for those people who are still figuring out what they believe about God or even people who are into God but don't really, um, yeah, are really struggling with that self-worth side, self-esteem side, what's the first thing they do? How do you pull these two together for someone who's new to this? I do look at loving God and also loving others. You know, that's the first and second great commandments that Jesus gives us is to love God and love others. And I think what this process has helped me to see is that Jesus didn't just command us to do that because this is like Christianity 101 or because it's like this is what a good person does, but because this is actually this is where life is found is in ordering your life around love of God and love of others. And I think we can see this play out in just the simplest of ways. I have this one chapter on family and I talk about this this concept called image management that has been really huge for me in my marriage and in my parenting. And it was first introduced to me by our marriage counselor after my husband and I had gotten, this is like early in our marriage, and we kind of gotten in this fight at like a dinner party where he'd said something I didn't like. And I sort of distanced myself from him you know, by making like a sarcastic comment. And of course that embarrassed him. And then we just argued all the way home. And when we talked to our marriage counselor about it later, she introduced us to this idea called image management. And I think we, we know this term when we think of something like Instagram, you know, that's like classic image management where you're sort of curating the image that you're putting out there. But She said that this concept can extend to our relationships as well, where we treat people as if they reflect on us, like especially the people who are closest to us, like our family, and how toxic it becomes when we do that. Like when you put that kind of pressure on your spouse or even worse, on your kids, like you treat them like they reflect on you, like they're a part of your image, you end up putting all of your securities on their back. And so that's just one way where we take something family that was never meant to be about us. You know, it was never meant to reflect back on us. But when we make it about us, it becomes extremely toxic to that relationship. And it creates all sorts of issues in that relationship. And I think if you've ever been on like the receiving end of that, like if you've ever been managed, <laughs> right. Then right. You when know you feel exactly that, yeah, you feel. totally feel that. I yeah, know it, it sort of like creates this resentment in you because you're like, okay, hold on. You know, like, this wait, is don't not I get to be me? me? Is, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like step off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think we do this. It's so easy to do it. Like with your kids, especially you feel like they're reflecting on you. And so all that to say, to answer your question, you know, I think this principle plays out in a lot of different ways, but in terms of how we love others as well, when we are taking things that are meant to be about something much larger than us, and we make them about us, we make them small. You know, if if we treat our possessions as if they're there just to kind of like bolster our status, instead of, you know, how can I maybe use my house to be hospitable or how can I use my finances to be generous? You know, when we do that, we make them small, just how it takes all the beauty and the power out of them. So, so that's kind of a, a more universal principle that I would say runs throughout the book that yeah. uh, I think a lot of people could relate to regardless of where they are in relationship to God. Yeah. I'm like processing all of that as you're saying it. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> who do I do that to? And who does that to me? And why does that bring up emotion in me? Not like crying emotion, but just like, 
I feel a little bit mad. <laughs> like, and, and I'm like, I wonder why that is. But yeah, it's so true. It's probably more that I'm mad at myself because I can think of people. I mean, even as we're talking, I can think of people in my life that there are times where I want to manage their behavior. Yeah. So, you know, I'm pregnant with my first daughter. And when I found out I was having a girl, I had two thoughts. The first was I was really excited, you know, just that we're finally having a girl and this is so exciting. But then the second thought I had was, oh no, like, am I going to put all my insecurities on this little girl? (laughs) Because I've seen, you know, I feel like this happens a lot. Like the mother-daughter relationship is so complicated and has so many layers. And I've been really fortunate in my relationship with my mom where that's not so much a dynamic, but I, I have girlfriends who it is an issue, you know, like their weight, their appearance, Um, even like I have friends who are single and their parents put pressure on them, you know, maybe you need to be doing this or that to like catch the attention of men. And, um, I think what they unintentionally communicate is you're not attractive enough as is, you know, that kind of a thing. Right. And so when that happens, it creates so much resentment in your relationship with that person. Wow, that's brilliant. Well done. I'm like, I need like 30 (laughs) minutes just to like think through some of that and really process some of that. Oh, did you enjoy the process of writing the book? Like now that you've done it and you felt like God must, you must have felt like God gave you this story to be yours. Yeah, I did. I really loved writing this book. By the time I got around to writing it, and this is something that I've, I've actually had to like explain to some of my family members because they read, they'll read it and they'll be like, you know, we didn't know that you felt this way, you know, like, or, or they're just surprised that I'm sharing it with the world. I'm, and I'm like, well, I don't feel this way now. You know, like I've right. healed, you know, like I wouldn't be sharing this if I was still, if it was just this like open wound. And so, you know, I'm on the other side where it's not that I never struggle with these things, but I have the tools now to deal with them. And I've, I honestly, I've just experienced so much freedom from it. And it's helped me to understand the gospel, like in a completely new way. And it's just, I don't know, it's given me this whole new appreciation for God's word and just the freedom that we have in Christ. Which is really saying a lot because you already you already have your PhD. So you like really know the word of God. (laughs) You're like a professional. (laughs) Um, I don't know. It's just like, you know how God sometimes just opens your eyes. He like unlocks new things in his word and that you just didn't even know were there before. And that's what it was. And so there were times when I would write and my heart would just race because I was sharing something that meant so much to me and had been so life-giving to me. And I would just pray that God would use my words to free people the way that he had freed me. And so, yeah, it, it was actually, writing this was a joy. I've, I've started already to think about my next book, and this is going to be awful. <laughs> <laughs> Why? It is not. <laughs> it, it, I think it's going to be like a completely different process. <laughs> oh, I got you. I got you. I got you. Yes. Well, I mean, it is awful. I mean, the book won't be awful, but it is, writing books is pretty awful. (laughs) Because I say to people, I'm sure this happens to you too, but a lot of times when people ask me about writing books, you know, the real part that the enemy can block is getting it from our heads into the computer, right? Like once it's out and other people get involved, it's a lot harder to stop it. But if he can get us and say, this story doesn't matter, nobody cares, nobody's listening, you know, if he can get us there, um, then we then we can be stopped. So the writing part is brutal. As a writer, I had to stay focused on, okay, who is my audience? Like, who am I writing for? Because whenever I would read another book while I was writing that was written by like some beautiful writer who is just like a poet at heart, I would just despair. (laughs) I know. Like, I know, you know, I know what I am and I know what I'm not. And I know, you know, what my gifts are and I know what they're not. And every now and then, especially like when an actual writer reads my book, 
I feel so embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. Do you know that's so funny? I just had this conversation with a buddy of mine this week because um, I had my new devotional, 100 Days to Brave, came out. And I was saying to him, we were at a concert, and I was saying to him, my buddy Seth, I was like, I just really am concerned what you think because <laughs> you're so smart, and I care that you think I'm smart. <laughs> And he never answered, actually, Sharon. So that was the insecure part. Yeah, there are some people that when they're reading my book, I feel like I need to send them an email or a text message and say like, okay, I know it could be better. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know, I know. I know it's not beautiful, but I'm I'm not capable of writing that book. You know, the level that I want yes, it to be, like yes. it, I'm not capable. And A, you know, that's how God keeps me humble. But B, that's not my role. You know, that's not like... I can't be all the things, you know, I just need to know yeah, what my right. lane is and stay in my lane. Oh, that's so good. People need to hear that. Because like one person who is such a beautiful writer is Ann Voskamp. Uh-huh. You know, she's got this like gorgeous way with words where she just captures, you know, like a feeling and you can, she like transports you and I cannot do that. Right, right. <laughs> And that's not our lanes, right? Like, that's not what we're called to do. Yeah. And God God made me more of like a teacher. I think that's more my lane. And so I just want to be good at that. And if people don't like that, then that's fine because there are other voices for them. Um, but yeah, that does make me a little bit insecure. But But with this next book, I think too... I think I poured it all out in the first one. And, and I think there's other things that I have to say. And I think this is how it is with writing. Sometimes it's like a slog and sometimes it just gushes out of you, you know, and that, that this book was like gushing out of me, but I think the next one is going to be much more, I don't know. I, I saw, I don't know if you saw this, but speaking of Jenny Allen, she had just posted something about how our work is cursed. And did you see that on Instagram? She posted yeah. how, how she's like a creative type but like a lot of what she does is not creative. Like like the work that has to right. be done is like non-creative work. Yeah. It's like administrative. Yeah. And how she was like, you know, we're, our work is cursed. You know, we we will toil. And that's just the reality. And we have to suck it up. <laughs> right. Right. And it was like just the kick in the pants I needed because I'd, I'd been sort of you know, throwing myself a pity party about how writing has been hard lately. And so now I'm kind of like, okay, you know, this is work is hard sometimes and it just is. And that's just the world that we live in, but it's still worth it. Right. It is. I mean, and that's the, and I loved her being like, there are so many parts of this job that I don't love and that people don't see. I was like, oh, we need to hear it. Like I need a reminder of that. Even though I know Jenny's life, I still need a reminder that everybody's not doing what they think is the most fun all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which yeah, makes me exactly. Um, okay. Can we talk for just a minute about women in church leadership? Okay. Okay. So I just would love to hear you talk a little bit about women in church leadership. It's kind of a conversation that has been rolling through the last few episodes of my podcast as we're just having like, yeah, it's just, it's just coming up more and more. Tell me about wh- how you lead at your church with your husband and what it looks like to um, be a pastor's wife, but also be a woman in leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so women in leadership is something I'm really passionate about. Although really what I would say I'm, I'm passionate about big picture is just women using their gifts for the kingdom of God. Like finding, figuring out like, what are your gifts? Like, why did God put you on this earth? Because if he put you on this earth, he did it for a reason. There's a spot you have to fill. And so are you doing it? You know, and I'm really interested in empowering women and equipping women to do that work. So you mentioned earlier, so I have my PhD and my focus was on why women go to seminary And kind of the question behind that question was like what worked in their lives? Because not many women who are called to ministry always seek like formal training for it. And so I went and sat down with a lot of the women who had, because it's like a small group of women. And I basically asked them to tell me their stories. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what were the common factors in these women's lives that encourage them to equip themselves when a lot of women don't take that step. And it was such a cool, it was like the best 
PhD topic ever <laughs> because it, most of it was not me sitting in a library. Most of it was me sitting across from women and hearing their stories of calling. And it was awesome. It was so inspiring. I, it, it felt like God was giving me this little preview of the crop of women that he is raising up for his church. And so it was really awesome. And through that, what I learned, I learned a lot of stuff, but I think the number one factor that I, I learned was that most of the women I talked to had multiple people in their lives who saw their gifts and who named their gifts and who said, I see this in you. And I think that God may have put this call in your life. And have you considered seminary or have you considered ministry? Or they mentor these women or they, they found creative ways to cultivate these women's gifts. And the thing that was so neat about it is that I interviewed women at really conservative seminaries. And so these weren't even women who necessarily wanted to be pastors or who were at churches where they saw women in leadership, but they still had male pastors who identified their gifts and told them, I see this in you. And sometimes it was like just a single conversation or even, yeah, like a comment. And it could totally change a person's life. And so I, I took a lot away from that, like just the role of the church in calling people out. Like I think that's how God raises up leaders is through his church. But it also really convicted me of the power of me identifying other people's gifts. And if I see someone has the gift of, you know, not even like leadership or teaching, but just mercy or hospitality or, or I, it's just clear to me, like God put you on this planet for this, you know? I don't want to miss the opportunity to to speak that over them and to say that because I think that's how God forms people and, and raises people up and, and calls them into their place. And so that's something I've gotten really like, I don't know what the word is about, like soapboxy about. <laughs> no, I like it. Tell people their gifts. Say it. Like just be really, yeah. you know, like loud and you know, free about it. Like if you see someone's gifts, so you would say that them. to men or women, if you see someone's gifts, just tell them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that is how God does it is through his people is a big part of it. So yeah, that was one of my like favorite takeaways. And, and it's, I see it in my own life, honestly. I mean, I, I have really supportive parents. I have a really supportive husband. Uh, my dad is the kind of dad who would like fight anyone who would tell me I couldn't do something. <laughs> so yeah, I see it in my own life too. Right. Man, that's so interesting. I mean, because that, and when I look at my life, I do think the biggest things I'm pursuing as an Annie are things that other people have said they saw me doing well. Yeah, exactly. And usually when you tell someone that you see that in them, other people are telling them that too. And so it's sort of like these little like pings on a radar where you're, you're trying to like discern God's will. And I think we're helping each other do that yeah, together. Yeah, that's really good. And that's why, I mean, that's one of the reasons we should say stuff to other people because you have no idea if you're the first one or like the 10th one to say this thing. Yeah, exactly. And the thing that happens to me more often than not is someone will say something to me and I'll be like, thank you so much. That was so kind. And in my brain, my brain is spinning because four other people said that to me that's very weak. And what am I supposed to do with that? And oh my gosh. And, but that person never knows the person who just said the thing to me about my writing or my speaking or my Annie-ness, you know, whatever. Well, and you know what? I was just thinking about this too. I think this is really helpful. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, like when you've spoken and someone just comes up to you and says, that was so great. You know, like, I just love you. And those those things are affirming, but they're not always helpful. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, keep and maybe going. you don't feel that way. No, no, no keep going. No, I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, I appreciate when someone says, that was great. But what I appreciate more is when someone gives me very specific feedback on my gifts, saying, I see you as helping people understand the Bible better. Like, I, I think that's one of your gifts because that's something I can really lean into and hone and work on and know that that, that is headed in the right direction. Whereas 
vague affirmation is nice, but it's not, it doesn't grow me necessarily. I don't know if, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And do you know what I've started doing? That's what I say back to people when they are non-specific with me, when they're kind of global. I ask back, what, what was your favorite part? Not like, what's your favorite part about Annie, but what was your favorite part about what I taught? Or, and the other thing I really do share is a lot of times I'll say to the Lord, like, why did this stand out to that person? Right? Because I'm with you that I want to hone. But sometimes I think the people on the, and I've done this with pastors or teachers that I loved, where I don't know the words. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to say that that explains to them what I experienced with them as the as the communicator. Now that it's our job, right? Like now that I do it professionally, I do know how to say to people, here's what you did really well. Um, whether it was your timing or your content or how you did research. I just heard a preacher on Sunday and afterwards I said to him like, your ability to research down to where this stuff comes from blows my mind. Right. And so, so you and I know how to communicate like that, but for people who don't do this as their job, I've just started saying the Lord, like you got to tell me, more specifically, only because I don't want to start believing the hype and I don't want to walk away and just think and not have something to actually look to as something to improve or that has been improving. Yeah, that's true. That's a good word. That's really helpful. Yeah, I I really believe in equipping the people in your context first and foremost is is huge for me. Right. And I, I do have this dream of leading with my husband one day. Like I would really love to be, I'm not even like as a pastor, but just, I don't know. I I think we both are natural leaders and our gifts are very different. And so that's, that's been just like a dream of ours for a long time. Yeah. Ooh, that's cool. That's a good, I like that dream. That's pretty rad. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm into it. Um, Okay. So here's another topic we have to cover before we hang up. Now everyone knows we're not in the same room. Before, they may have thought we were in the same room, and now I said, hang up. (laughs) Really exposed our secret. Um, So this conversation that we are having is coming out during our Christmas party, which is really fun. So tell me a little bit about the Miller family Christmas traditions. What do y'all do now that you have kids? What did you do? Like, what does it look like around your house? Okay. Well, really, because my husband's a pastor— we are just at church. <laughs> like in the days leading up to Christmas, we're at church, like wall, it's like wall to wall church. Oh, right. Because there's so many services. Yeah. We've got like eight services. <gasps> Bull. What church are y'all at? Uh, we're at, it's called, it's actually called Cross Point Church. Oh, come on. <laughs> you and me both, sister. Just cross pointers. Felt a little bit different, but yeah, we're at Cross Point Church in Cary. Okay. North Carolina, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So we, we're at church and so we don't get to do, it's sort of taken us out of a lot of like, both of our families have Christmas Eve traditions and church has kind of pulled us out of that. And so we're, we're just yeah. at church. But other than that, we're, we're actually still kind of figuring it out because our kids are so little, Sure, just figuring out like what our traditions are. But can I just tell you, <laughs> so today is Halloween. Right. And can I tell you how many already, how many... Hallmark Christmas movies I've watched. <gasps> Listen, <laughs> can we go down this road? Sharon, we're going to be texting all Christmas holiday. I love them so much. <laughs> and my husband, he hates it so much. Like he, <laughs> he'll, he'll walk in because it's started now. Like it is going. It is, it going, is going now. Going. Like they have yes, yes. new movies coming out every weekend. And so he'll walk in and he'll see me watching it and he'll just walk out. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? Um, hmm. That's a hard question. I'll have to think about it. I so I more have I have like a standard of whether or not I'm like all in or although okay. honestly. Okay, no, tell us. Go. What is your your scaffolding, your schema? What's what is it? My big thing is whether or not the main couple has any chemistry. Okay. Like there are some where I'm like, I'm not rooting for you. Yeah, that's right. Y'all don't <laughs> actually like, like each other. I feel no emotional investment. Like if y'all don't get together, right. I'll be fine. You know? Like when it right, feels right. that way. It's really hard for me to stay committed all the way to the end. But if there's actual chemistry, yes. then 
I can look past a lot of sins. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Like there was one last year about a prince and it was, um, oh, what's the actress's name from the Wonder Years? Yes. 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 She's one of the new. Yes. I saw that one too. Yeah. She's in like everyone. Yes. Oh, she- Her, Candace Cameron. And the girl from Party of Five, they've got a whole crew of them now. Yeah, there was one with her, and I wasn't even, like, that sold on her in that character. Like, she seemed kind of cheesy, but I felt like they had chemistry. And so I was able to forgive a lot of things that I didn't like about it because I <laughs> felt like they they had chemistry. And so that's that's kind of, yeah. like, my my thing. But it's so weird. It's like black magic. It's amazing. Because you're watching it and you're like, this is objectively bad. Like, this is not a good (laughs) good movie. Like, I know what's going to happen. I can write it out for you. What is going to happen? I'm going to send you, we have like a bingo board of like what you're going to see in the season of, in like the Christmas season, what you will see on the show or what on the different movies. And so it's like, a snowball fight, a Christmas tree farm, Santa pretending to be someone else, a woman who owns a small sh- a small local shop that's going under, right? There's uh-huh. like yeah. all these <laughs> ice sculpting contests, right? Like all these things are going to show up at some point. Listen, I got to tell you about my very favorite one. I have a favorite one that I keep on my DVR. It's a very merry mix-up. Okay, which one is that? The girl's engaged. There's a couple that's engaged, and they are going to meet his family for the first time on an airplane. And they leave the big city, New York, Chicago. I don't know. They leave the big city, and he has to delay a day. And so she flies ahead and lands at the airport and gets picked up by the wrong family (laughs) because her fiancé and this guy's brother have the same name and her phone dies it's not people you know I'm gonna send you a link to it I'm gonna send you when it shows next time Sharon because it is and then they get in a they get in a car wreck on the way home and they have concussions they have to stay awake and bake cookies all night oh maybe I have seen that one maybe I have seen that one one. it's so bad it's so good though it's really good I feel like they're at a point now where they have a list of actors and they throw all their names into a hat. And then for each movie, they just pick names out of the hat. And if they haven't been in a movie together yet, <laughs> they, they just, do it like, a thousand percent. Yeah, because they're recycling so many actors. But the other thing that, I mean, they, they make so many movies, like so many new movies. I feel kind of like if you are listening right now and you're a writer and you need money. Yes. <laughs> I would contact Hallmark because they have got to be hard up for writers. Oh, to right. Have that, like be writing that much every year. And I mean, it's not like, I mean, they're phoning it in. There was one last year where it was like a cookie factory in a town called oh, Cookie yeah. Town. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> I was like, y'all, y'all wasted zero brain cells. On yeah, this. that's like, right. You didn't spend that's a single right. brain cell. That's right. No one worked super hard on this. Yeah, it's going to be a cookie factory in a town called Cookie Jar. Right. I know. <laughs> or the one there is one called like um, another one that's similar in that where the place is called something Claws or something, and like the they it's a different factory and they make toys. It's like I mean, I love them though. I mean, we can do this all day long because I love them so much. I know. It's so, I don't understand why. I wish I was like a more cultured person. I wish <laughs> no. I was above it. No, no. I, I'm glad you aren't. I am not either. There's no, there's no reason to be above that. We are allowed to have tiny vices. Yep. Yep. So yeah. So unfortunately that is one of our Christmas traditions. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> okay. So the last question we always ask is what sounds fun to you, but tell me what sounds fun to you for Christmas this year? Like what's something that feels like that would be so fun if we could just what? Hmm, that's a good question. I think I'm actually just looking forward. So my last speaking for the year is in November. And yeah, so I'm looking forward to just having time with my family. This is just a season. My kids are so little that being traveling away from them is really hard. Yeah. And how much are you on the road? Uh, I'm not that much. Like I've I've been gone, I don't know, just a couple times a month in September, October, November. So nothing even like 
I'm gone and back like really quickly. But my my kids are just so little that even when I'm gone, it just feels like a sacrifice. And, you know, it's in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's not a huge sacrifice, but I'm just really looking forward to cooling my jets and just being home with my kids. And the baby's coming at the end of January, and so that's going to sort of turn everything upside down. And so December will be, you know the last quiet month, I guess you could say, before that happens. Right, and so, right. yeah, I'm, I'm actually just really simple, just really looking forward to being with my family. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, well, thanks for being on the show, friend. I'm so grateful. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. I mean, do you love her or what? I don't know if you were already friends with Sharon, but I'm so glad you are now. I just think she is the best. Hey, if you want to know more about Sharon, you can head to her website, sheworships.com. And her book, Free of Me, you can get at any of your local bookstores on Amazon, at a Christian bookstore, or wherever you love to buy books. So make sure you grab a couple to give as gifts. There's nothing that makes me happier than putting gifts like books in stockings. And so I hope this will be one of the ones you enjoy. Our Christmas party continues next week, which I love with my sweet friend, Melanie Shankle. You're going to love her. And then we're going to talk Enneagram Christmas. We're going to talk music with John McLaughlin. We've got a couple of really, really fun weeks coming. So I hope you'll stick around, share with your friends. This is a great time to get some friends on board with the That Sounds Fun podcast before we kick into the new year. I think you are going to really like how we're starting off in January. Hey, if you need to find me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. It is Annie F. Downs everywhere, as in fancy Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you need to find me. That is where I will be. So I hope you're having a great first week of the actual holiday season. I mean, besides the fact that by Halloween, there was already Christmas movies on like Sharon and I talked about. But now we're really in it. We're listening to the music. We're eating the snacks. We're watching the Christmas movies. We're decorating the tree. So I hope you have already had a great start to your holiday season. And go out there and do something very Christmassy and fun today. And I will see you next week.